Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. As a traveler, it's a fact you're going to need to manage your spending in different currencies. You need a service that not only helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, but also does it without the hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This is where WISE comes in. WISE is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. I've been a customer for over a decade. It's been a lifesaver for me as a traveler, a nomad, and now a permanent resident abroad. If you're a traveler who's still using your regular bank, you need to check this out. Join 16 million customers and learn how the WISE account could work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to WISE for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travels brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Nobody ever came up with a great idea sitting around an office. You know, you got to get out there and let your mind breathe a little bit. I'm talking a lot to people that have moved abroad to literally cut their expenses in half. You know, they, they move from an expensive place in the U.S. or uk or wherever and then they move somewhere cheaper and all of a sudden they've got twice as much money to save or you know splurge with or whatever they want to do but what i noticed in medellin a lot of people that have moved there are basically just moving there to upgrade their life medellin colombia one of the many destinations we chat about today with award-winning travel writer and relocation expert tim Leffel, if you want to see all of his various awards and credentials and why I chose him for this topic, you can find his work at timleffel.com. Long story short, Tim excels at offering clear, practical, no BS advice around destinations and living abroad. And he doesn't sell the dream. He just tells it like it is. And I really appreciate that about him. We cover a ton of ground in this episode. And what we try to do is match these destinations with your personality a bit. So Tim broke them down in a unique way that I think does a good job of doing that. And this, of course, can accommodate slow travelers as well as remote work professionals. Anybody that wants to spend some quality time in a destination, I think is going to get a lot of value out of the episode today. Of course, along the way, we have to discuss a lot of different things that come up, get some jet lag tips right off the bat from Tim, why he dislikes co-working spaces, his favorite research tool for doing a cost of living comparison, a quick way you can gauge apartment rental costs in any city, some perspectives around where to spend your dollars and how that might affect the local neighborhoods. We get into why some current popular retirement places are starting to change over. The age demographic is starting to shift and some of the trends in long-term stay visas and much more. Plus, I want to give a shout out to a community member who did something pretty incredible and they're they're kickstarting their travel journey and they asked for a few hidden gem recommendations. So I'll share three bonus destinations as well as a quick travel tip to find some of those local spots. It's a blunt question. Sometimes if you're just straightforward, you get the answer you want. So all that happening in today's episode and much more right now. Buckle up, strap in. Thanks for being here. And welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, 
world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. And I am so excited to continue Destinations Month here at the Zero to Travel Podcast. We're all about the destinations this month. Thought it'd be a great way to kick off the year. And we're moving into another slew of destinations. Some of the best destinations in the world for remote workers, for digital nomads, for anybody that wants to spend a little time in a place, perhaps getting long-term visas are part of the equation for you. Maybe getting plugged into a community. You don't want to go to certain destinations where there are a lot of other travelers, perhaps remote workers or other people running their own businesses. A lot to unpack here. And this is a different lens through which to see some of the destinations. And one that's very relevant at this point in time as more and more people are able to work remotely. More and more people are going to take advantage of that. So if you're somebody who's listening, you're in that position, you haven't taken advantage of it yet, maybe it's time to do that. This will give you some food for thought. Perhaps you're out on the road right now. Perhaps you're working towards that type of lifestyle where you can work remotely or you're just a traveler and you want to learn about some new places and get some tips along the way. I think you're going to enjoy this one. Hope you do. And I love how Tim structure this list. It is important to kind of match those destinations with your personality. I feel like sometimes you do that on the ground, right? You just have a strong connection with a place for various reasons. Maybe it's a group of people you met or just the vibe of a city, whatever the case is. And sometimes you can try to set yourself up for that type of thing before you even go into a trip. Knowing a place offers certain things that you want or need and that are going to make it a bit easier to transition to spending some quality time there. Everybody has different individual needs. And when you're matching yourself up with a place that you're going to stay for a longer period of time, it might be worth considering some of those needs, just being honest with them, looking at some of the destinations and really kind of dialing in, hey, are these places that offer uh, the things that I want to sort of be surrounded by over the coming months or half a year or full year or however long you're planning to spend? And of course, visas are in consideration as well, something that comes up in this chat. A lot comes up in this chat. So I'm going to bring it to you now. I hope you enjoy it. Stick around on the back end. I'm going to give a shout out to somebody in this community, made a big change in their life, big transition to travel. And they were asking me for some hidden gem recommendations in the USA. And so I decided to list up three. I'm not going to make a whole giant list. Maybe that would be a bigger episode down the road. In fact... I'm going to put it on my list of ideas now. And you can stick around to hear those if you would like. Plus, I've got an exciting announcement. It's true. I've got a new venture happening this year. One that will maybe allow us to meet up in the coming year. Who knows? I will fill you in after the interview segment. Now, let's slip and slide into my conversation with Tim. And I'll see you on the other side, my friend. Good to see you, Tim. Yeah, man. Good to see you. And um, yeah, we can talk about where I am because that'll be fun. I'm in Thailand. You're in Thailand. How long yeah. you been there? Just a few days. And man, it's a long way. 
to get here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where did you fly from? From Mexico City, and then it went Barcelona, Dubai, and then here. Um, oh, man. Don, Donna's was worse. She flew on mileage, and then there were four stops. <laughs> Your and wife, we, Donna. Okay. So yeah. are you guys a little bit jet-lagged still? A little bit, but I've had two good nights sleep, and I'm feeling almost normal. Do you have any jet lag tricks as a travel writer? Somebody who's traveling all the time, you must have some, some little. Yeah, uh, um, I mean, things work differently for different people depending on their body. But for me, like what works the best is just trying to sleep some on the plane, and then getting on local time as soon as possible. And so, even when I choose flights, I keep that in mind. Like I hate arriving somewhere super early in the morning you know, and then having to stay up all day, like that's really hard. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. And I try to try to just like go to bed early if I'm tired and then wake up whenever my body feels like waking up. (laughs) It's so hard to resist the nap sometimes. I've done it too. Yeah. When you get in at those like 6am, 7am deals and you're just like, you know, at first you got the adrenaline rush because you're in the taxi cab or whatever, or you're on the local, but wherever. And it's just like all new and the smells and, and you're like on high alert because that's when you're most vulnerable in terms of like getting kind of <laughs> robbed and stuff in some ways, right? You're like, probably, yeah. Hey, you're just a little more paranoid, I think. You haven't slept. It's just a weird time. Then you get settled in and that's cool. And then you're like, all right. And you get a meal and then you're getting comfortable and... And then you're like, oh, I could use a nap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a long time to stay up until uh, 12 hours later when you're tired like that and you've been on a plane forever. I forgot this time, but I usually bring melatonin and take that at night too. But I've had no trouble sleeping this time, so I guess it doesn't matter. No. Yeah, I have been known to do the Dramamine trick. Uh, I'm using air quotes on, on an airplane. Just like, I'm just going to take uh, two or three of these and call it a night because they kind of yeah. <laughs> and i'm all for the free glasses of wine they give you on the flight i'm not passing those up because <laughs> anything that'll help me snooze a bit on the plane i can't do the the plain wine so much it gets me a little like the plain wine is one of those experiences for me where it's i have the glass or two i don't really do it anymore and then it's like two hours later, I'm a little hungover and I haven't slept. And it's like, well, how can I even be having a headache right now? I just had yeah, like one. Yeah, it is left. dehydrating and that's not good. But I chug a lot of water before I get on the plane. So I figure that'll give me a little resistance. So how long are you guys there for? So about a month. Um, I, I don't want to come this far and turn around. So I'm not really doing any writing stuff. We're staying on the beach in Colanta, um, and then uh, two weeks on a kind of mellow beach in Phuket that's not real touristy. Just kind of, you know, working in the morning and then having fun in the afternoon, hopefully, and living the nomad life. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'll give you a little quick intro here. Award-winning travel writer Tim Leffel is my guest today, author of The World's Cheapest Destinations, Travel Writing 2.0, A Better Life for Half the Price, friend of the show, been on several times and a personal friend of mine as well at this point. We're uh, really excited to have him back. So yeah, man, welcome back. And I'm excited to get into this best remote work destinations 2023 and beyond list. I love this breakdown you sent over. We're, we're going to get into all this, but I just want to preface this whole conversation with this isn't just 
some guy who threw together a list. I mean, this is kind of at like the cross section of all the work you do for many, many, many years living abroad, spending extended time abroad. Oh, you can talk about the newsletter you run if you want to drop that really quick that I'm a part of. That's really cool. Yeah. And just kind of let people know a little bit more about <laughs> your expertise in this space, I guess. Well, another word for experienced is old in my case. And I've been around the block a few times, around the world a few times. So uh, yeah, I do have a lot of experience with different cities and different countries. And then also in the course of writing uh, the book of mine, A Better Life for Half the Price, about living abroad, I interviewed a lot of people living in other countries, especially uh, ones that I have not personally spent much time in myself because I wanted to get the lowdown. So I've talked to a lot of people in these places too. And then you meet people, you know, when you're traveling, talk about where they lived and then they give you the scoop on where they were last. And so you kind of just try to absorb it all and get a sense of uh, what places are great and what are, which ones are maybe not so great. (laughs) Yeah. How many years have you been a travel writer now? So I started part-time in the mid nineties. So it's been quite a while, like 93, 94 back when all you could do was write for print because that's all there was, uh, magazines and newspapers and that kind of thing. And I did some trade publications, but yeah, the, basically a few years after, um, I started blogging, I went full-time and I've been full-time since 2006 and I managed to, uh, support a family and put a kid through college and whatever else. Thanks to the World Wide web. <laughs> quite an accomplishment i mean this is why we have you back year after year to give us the scoop on destinations because you've been doing this before the whole remote work nomad digital nomad evolution you've been writing about living abroad and, and and studying destinations writing about destinations and writing about it from that standpoint as well and now you've been through the whole evolution of the remote work movement, or should we say revolution, I guess, in some ways. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, you've, you're, you've got your finger on the pulse of it is, is my point. And when you sent me, usually I don't get these lists in advance, but you, you kind of send some things over with this breakdown of doing this by, well, you can explain the context of how we're going to hit on some of these destinations. And before we get into them, I do want to hit on a couple other things. But yeah, just explain to everybody kind of how you broke these down. Because I think it's really cool. And I think that it will be helpful to match some of these with somebody's individual personality. Because certain people vibe with certain places, but not just that. Well, it'll make sense in a minute. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that part's important because I think you have to evaluate whether you're a big city person or a small town person or somewhere in between because, uh, you know, what my perfect place is might not be your perfect place and it won't be somebody else's perfect place. And part of that is is just um, the things you can put on paper as far as what your wants and needs are, you know, and somebody who's lived in New York City their whole life is probably not going to want to move to uh, rural Vietnam, you know, it's like going to be a pretty tough life to make that transition. And, you know, maybe vice versa, somebody that's lived in a small town and really liked it doesn't want to suddenly pick up and move to uh, a city of 20 million people, you know. So so I think it's important to kind of keep that in mind. We're going to classify things by city size maybe a bit. And I sent you a note because I wanted to do a little bit of a brain dump just thinking about where have people been going the last three, four or five years uh, people who could live anywhere, where have they chosen to live? And I think it's just kind of interesting to look at that. And then we'll talk about maybe where where the next hotspots are because they're always changing. 
Yeah, that sounds great. I love it. Yeah, you send a list of big, medium, small in terms of city sizes. And then we're going to kind of go through some of those that you see as great places to to work remotely or to spend some extended time, or potentially move, and then um, go into the crystal ball and some that you think are on the rise in each of those respective categories. And, you know, this is like the standard sort of disclaimer. We're not here to say, hey, you should move to one of these places like in this podcast or like you need to invest in one of these, you know. Go put your life savings in real estate. <laughs> <laughs> Do your due diligence and take the list for what it's worth. But I also believe that we do have a real expert here in Tim to share some of these. So they they are worth looking into, of course. And Tim, I, I guess one of the other things that I really admire about your work, and I think you do just an outstanding job of, is marrying the, the sort of practicalities around some of these places with the ability to let people kind of see the, see the good parts. Uh, that might be a good reason to live there, but you're not putting on the rose-tinted glasses and saying, you know, these places are perfect. I, I think this is really important as we get into this because if you're a listener who is, you know, been working the nine to five for a while and you're and you're just trying to escape, it's really easy to sort of like idealize some of these places, right? With social for media sure. and all you know. Especially if you spend a lot of time on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. I mean there is a reality to the day-to-day life in in all these places, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm in Bangkok right now. I love this place. I don't think I'd ever want to live here though, because uh, it's noisy. The traffic's horrible. It's a sprawling city, but you know, on the flip side, there's a whole lot of fantastic things about it. The food, the nightlife, the the high rise, cool apartments you can get. And so you have to sort of look at the good and bad and see what really matters to you and what's a deal killer. (laughs) Yeah. And you mentioned politics as well. That was something we should mention getting into this. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a tough thing to talk about, but, uh, you know, because people don't always agree on what, what even reality is these days. But I think it's safe to say a few cheap countries out there that have traditionally been popular are basically dictatorships right now. And that might not be a favorable environment. I mean, you can ignore all that and get by just fine if you want. But um you know, there are places where it has definitely leaned much more, um, become much more authoritarian in the last 10 years. And um, for me, I would not want to spend more than a fleeting time in those places. But, you know, other people can ignore it and move on. <laughs> so it's up to you. Once again, it depends on your tolerance. Yeah. Do you try to vote with your dollars, so to speak, in terms of destinations or the way you spend money on the ground? I do. And that's a controversial point. Like, I'm surprised how many travel writers strongly disagree with me about this. Like, I have no desire to promote Myanmar or Cuba or Venezuela or, you know, a lot of these places. I don't write much about Turkey these days because I really don't want to um, encourage people to spend their money to prop up a dictatorship. So, um, but I, I'm probably in the minority on that. There's a lot of travel writers that just say, oh, you should just go where you want and, you know, talk about wherever you want and it helps the local people and whatever. But I don't think it really helps the local people in terms of their political situation. Otherwise, Cuba would have changed a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, for you personally, that probably, it seems to me at least that it's, it's also... <laughs> 
certain aspects of your work, you have to do it in a certain way so you can sleep well at night. Right? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, <laughs> people will say to me, you know, when Donald Trump was president, they would say, well, I'm not coming to America by those standards. And I would say, right, you shouldn't. Like, if you believe that, then you shouldn't come and spend any money there. Like, you know, send, vote with your wallet. So, um, yeah, understand it from the other side as well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we do have that individual power to decide and yeah, sometimes it's a good reminder that we have, we have that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've had a couple of friends go to Saudi Arabia lately. Good guy. The, what a can of worms that opens up. <laughs> <laughs> we have traditionally done uh world's cheapest destinations list on this podcast, but, but that's why we kind of decided to switch it up this year. Of course, if we get an overwhelming response from you all listening and you say, hey, we need, we need the world's cheapest destinations. Listen, the last time we did it, you were updating the book, you were traveling around. So we did some updates, to the original list. But now because people are spending so much more time in areas, I think we can use the double remote work, but also maybe slow travel, maybe living abroad. It all kind of can be grouped together a little bit. Yeah, from even from the first time you and I talked on this podcast, things have changed drastically in the remote world because uh, a lot more jobs can be done remotely than it used to be. And so, you know, a lot of people that didn't have that option before now have it. And so there's a lot more people going mobile. And, and overall, I think that's a good thing. Yeah. And frankly, you have different needs as well. Yeah. You have you have to have good internet, first of all, but thankfully that's gotten a lot easier around the world. It wasn't always a given that you were going to have decent internet, but now I think it's more strange if you don't than the other way around. Mm -hmm. Well, you're traveling with your wife. I mean, how about community for you? Is that a decision point for you personally when you spend quality time in the city to get around other... Yeah, not so much for me, but I know... A lot of people, especially if they're single, that is super important. And I really dislike working in co-working spaces, for instance. Like I I think I get far more done if I'm holed up in my hotel room banging out my <laughs> articles, you know, like I, it's just distracting for me to have all those people around. But other people really want that sense of community. I understand that, too. The social aspect of it is great. You know, if you can kind of get in with a group of people and you can go hiking together and take excursions together, whatever. But like just as far as the day-to-day -day work thing, I don't find that too productive. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, let's... But to each his own. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> let's dive into the first section of this, which is big cities. And how do I say? We're quantitizing this, would I say? <laughs> <laughs> Would that be the word? I'm not thinking of the right quantifying. Yeah. Quantifying this. Sorry, you know, I had a cup of coffee, and I you're like the first person I talked to today, besides my four year old and six year old. So I just talked to my wife this morning. But yeah, um, this is going to be cities that are five plus million. million yeah, correct. So yeah, big cities of the world that are also affordable because I think we have to still put that in the mix. Because yeah, okay, it would be great to go live in Geneva or Tokyo or whatever. But for most of us, that's going to be a downgrade in our living situation, not an upgrade, unless you're coming from Oslo, maybe. But anyway, um, so yeah, I think it's still important to look at affordability. And, and most nomads are trying to go somewhere that's 
at least on par with where they lived before. But more often, they're trying to find a cheaper place so they can get more for their money. You know, if you look at big cities, where are people living that are nomadic these days? I think maybe those haven't changed a whole lot from before the pandemic. Like the popular places are still popular as far as the big cities. So I don't know. What would you throw out as like popular big cities for location independent people? Well, the ones that come to mind always would be Medellin. I mean, you were there. So, you know, yeah, for the first time recently. Uh, Lisbon, of course, because there's so much going on in Portugal right now. It's insane. And Bangkok were three on your list that stood out to me that I know are sort of, let's call them hot spots, if you will. Yeah, and there were loads of expats in Bangkok even before people were working remotely because there's so many companies here that are international. But yeah, it's probably even increased since then. And and they're they're starting to talk about rolling out some kind of 10-year visa that's not for retirees, for normal people that are, you know, working remotely. So that will change the game even more, I think, and more people will come to where I am right now. But yeah, Lisbon's probably the one that's changed the most in terms of um, the number of people actually moving there uh, because, you know, we keep reading about how many people are moving there and maybe some of the locals are getting annoyed because real estate prices are going up and, you know, uh, it's gotten like, it's gone from sort of, uh, you know, a pioneer kind of place to move to, to being super popular and being hitting the mainstream media. We'll be back in a moment. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos, and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude. Go! To learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten-path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds, so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there, and that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself, and that's why. 
We're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Now, back to the show. What other cities on that list would you would you? So I, I would say one that's really up and coming is Mexico City. Like it's... It's always been kind of there. There's always been some, you know, artists moving there and bloggers and whatever. But I feel like uh, in the past year or so, it started to really pick up the pace. Uh, there have been a few conferences there, you know, nomad-oriented things or uh, entrepreneurial sort of things that have sort of introduced the city to more people. So mm-hmm. I think it's becoming more well-known. Um, but, yeah, you mentioned Medellin. Um Buenos Aires, too, has always been kind of popular, but it goes through its ups and downs depending on what's going on in the world with their financial situation. And right now it's crazy cheap there. Like uh, I I would definitely consider that near the top of my list if I were going to move out of where I am right now and and go live somewhere for six months or a year because it's such a bargain there. What else on the main list? Because I know you had put sort of Mexico City... And Buenos Aires as the crystal ball destinations, if you will. Yeah, sort of going from lesser known to more known, maybe. And I think you could probably put um, Ho Chi Minh City in, in uh, Vietnam on that list too, because you know it's always been kind of known, but not as not so popular. Um, some of the others that have been maybe are Phnom Penh and um, Cambodia, um, Cape Town. South Africa, always been a popular place. But, you know, these things ebb and flow. Like, I remember when I first started traveling, tons of people would settle down in Cairo for a while. You never hear about anybody doing that anymore. (laughs) So some places just kind of fall out of favor, it seems. Well, I feel like, you know, a lot of these destinations we've mentioned, because as I mentioned before, we're friends. So I I, I know you traveling around. I kind of keep track on where you guys are because we see things on social media and whatnot, and we're in touch. And you've been to a lot of these places recently. You were in Medellin not too long ago. You're in Bangkok now. You were in Buenos Aires, I think, last year. Yeah, March actually this year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So yeah, I mean, let's talk a little bit about the specific places. Just give us your take on... All right. We're naming the cities, but can you just... yeah? dive a little deeper on whatever you want. I'll leave that open in in terms of those cities. (laughs) Well, what kind of struck me about Medellin is um, I'm talking a lot to people that have moved abroad to literally cut their expenses in half. You know, they, they move from an expensive place in the U S or UK or wherever, and then they move somewhere cheaper and all of a sudden they've got twice as much money to save or, you know, splurge with or whatever they want to do. But what I noticed in Medellin, a lot of people that have moved there are basically just moving there to upgrade their life. They're spending the same amount as they were before, but they've got, you know, a swanky high rise apartment with uh, a a live in maid. And, you know, this one guy I talked to, he's got somebody driving him around every day. Like he never even drives his, his own car. He's got a chauffeur on call, basically. And, you know, people just manage to get themselves into like an elite life kind of position without spending any more money. Um, you know, they can, they can have a nanny, a full-time nanny if they, if they're parents, you know, and those kinds of things are 
real, real upgrades for your life. You know, they can make a huge difference. And, uh, you know, one guy I interviewed said, I don't want anything in my life that I don't want to do. So I'm going to hire somebody to do everything I don't want to do. And that includes taking care of my dogs. I don't want to take them to the vet. I don't want to feed them. <laughs> and so, you know, it was just kind of a different perspective that I haven't heard before. And I think there's a lot of people in Bangkok living that kind of life, too. You know, they're living in some great high-rise apartment that they could never afford in New York or San Francisco. And and I think that's what's led to some of the problems that you're hearing about now in places like Mexico City and in Lisbon. And I think these problems are way overblown. It's like a, I think it's a media, you know, media latches onto something. They're like, oh, we've got a trend here. And, um, sorry. Bangkok. There was, a, there was something going by there. We like um, to hear Bangkok. This is a travel yeah. podcast. <laughs> but, um, you know, I mean, Mexico City's got 20 million people. So I don't think, uh, a few hundred expats moving in is going to move the needle very much, but it can in a specific neighborhood. And that's it. so I guess that's when people start noticing, you know, uh, but I feel like those no neighborhoods like uh, Condesa and Polanco were already expensive before any foreigners moved in. So, you know, there are lots of wealthy Mexicans live there too. So, and, and I think there's some of that in Lisbon, you know, you've got people from other countries moving there, but it's also just a big desirable city and, the best neighborhoods are going to get popular no matter what. But uh, anyway, um, so yeah, and then Buenos Aires, I, I feel like the word hasn't really got out yet and people haven't realized how cheap it is to live there, like just to rent. I mean, you could rent a great apartment for 500, 500 or 600 bucks these days if you're coming in with dollars or euros. And so um, that's unheard of. You know, there's a few cities in the world where you can still do that, but not many. And um, so... Yeah, maybe on the crystal ball thing, like the other side of the world, Kuala Lumpur has crazy cheap rents. Like it's a big city, you know, a modern city with great food and connections to everywhere by air and trains to Bangkok and Singapore. But you can get a really nice apartment there for five, six, seven hundred bucks. It's like got a fantastic view and it's a secure building with a swimming pool and all that stuff, you know. So you can really upgrade your life if you go to a place like that and just keep earning the same money you were earning before. What is your favorite research tool? You know, there's these cost of living comparison websites and I've, I've been on a couple of them. Do you find that one's more accurate than another? Or The ones I find are not very accurate are the nomad list and the we nomad kind of things where they're trying to rank all these cities by all these different factors. And I, I think I either they're not getting very good data or they're getting lots of data from people that are just, living a weird life as a nomad. I don't know. But, but I think Numbio is pretty accurate because that's it's got much higher numbers of people participating. And um, so I, I feel like that kind of smooths out the data. So, you know, it gets a little behind if there's high inflation like we've had the past year. But I think it's, it's fairly accurate overall. From the places I've been and the places I've lived, you know, it's not 100% accurate, but it's I'd, I'd give it a good 95% on most of the stuff. Yeah. Uh, I love Numbio. Uh, and you we'll compare city to city. That's what's so cool about it or country that's, to country. Yes. I'll link to it in the show notes because that would definitely be something you want to get into because you go to the cost of living comparison and you type in the city where you live now and you type in what you're comparing it to, say Medellin, Colombia or whatever, and it tells you how much more percent expensive it is and it gives you a whole breakdown of all of the 
cost of living comparison. And it's awesome. <laughs> and for most people, your biggest expense is going to be rent. So just one quick gut check is just to pull up Airbnb and check the monthly rentals. And that'll kind of give you the high end you could expect. And then maybe just Google, you know, apartment rentals in Medellin and just see what comes up and, you know, just start looking through listings. And, you know, maybe you're not going to find your exact apartment on there, but it'll give you an idea of how much things cost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am looking at... Oslo versus Medellin because we were talking about that. And man, I'm seeing oh, a lot wow. of 80% differences here, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> we're hitting into the 80s. Some of the high 80s. Domestic beer, 89.22%. Oh, less man, expensive. that's a big difference. I mean, yeah, you could, and you could, <laughs> I'm kind of a lush, so I'll say I'm, I'm, I was excited about this, but you can buy a beer on the street in Medellin for less than a dollar and then you can drink it right there if you want. Like, It's just a guy on the corner selling them out of a cooler. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's Uh, cool. It seems like, you know, in these destinations where they're, again, we'll use the air quotes hotspots here, like Medellin, um, it is more than possible to get yourself in the expat bubble and never leave or uh, dip in and out. I think you just have to be conscious about it. Right. Yeah, I think so, too. And it, it's great if you can make some friends that, you know, are from the area. Also, just to get a perspective on what they really think about things, you know, somebody you can ask questions. The problem is the language barrier. And this varies drastically from country to country. I mean, where I am right now here in Thailand, like it's amazing how many people speak English. I remember the first time I came here, I, I brought a phrase book and hardly ever used it, you know, Uh and now you can use Google Translate to like put it up to a sign. And that's a beautiful thing. You can like read a menu or read a sign to figure out what to eat on the street. Uh, but, you know, like in Latin America, I feel like it's a lot tougher because Spanish is so widespread that they you don't run into as many people that speak English unless you're in a place like San Miguel de Allende or, you know, a beach resort area. So I feel like where I am, it's much tougher for me to make local friends because almost nobody speaks English. So I really have to do it in their language. And my Spanish is okay, but it's not nearly as good as it should be. And I'm certainly not having a political discussion with them, you know? (laughs) So that makes makes it a lot tougher. The language thing's tough. I live in Norway. I'm a Norwegian citizen now, and I speak Norwegian at an intermediate level, I guess I would say. I understand most of, of the things, but I'm not so advanced that I can you know, throw out the, the certain expressions and I can't make, you know, pop culture references or anything like that. Cause I didn't grow up here. So in some ways you're still always a bit of an outsider. Yeah. And be challenging. The ideal is if you're single and you get a boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever in the uh, local, but I mean, even then I have a Norwegian wife, you know, (laughs) it's it's still still not perfect. (laughs) Yeah. You still have to, you know, you're still going to have your own friends and stuff. And, and, and I do. Yeah, it's still not your home country. No matter what, there is something to that. And I mean, not, not bad, because no, it's just different experience. Well, what do you think about, you know, some of the stuff we're talking about, then we'll get into the medium-sized uh, cities, is this idea of geo-arbitrage is the term where you're upgrading your lifestyle by going from uh, a location like Norway, the United States or whatever, or like Tim did from the U S to Mexico where you live, where you have your full base home base. And 
living a better lifestyle. Like you said, a better life for half the price. I mean, that's what your book is all about. Speaking of voting with dollars and all that stuff, I, I feel like there's some there are some people that frown upon the change in neighborhoods that you mentioned, some of these potential neighborhoods where like San Miguel Allende, is that what it's Allende, called? yeah. Yeah, I haven't been there, but I, I've heard it's like just been overrun by expats basically and that uh, it's it's kind of owned by them and uh, th- them. I don't know if that's true or not, but some people argue that, okay, that's maybe like a version of modern day colonialism. Yeah. What are your thoughts around that? I mean, it's a tough one because, yeah, there may be 15, 20% of the population there, the foreigners are. And in some ways, you could say that they have driven the locals out of the center, you know, the historic center. Most of those properties are owned by foreigners. Although that has reversed a bit in the last few years because a lot of rich people from Mexico City have been buying like second homes there, vacation homes. And and a lot of them have their weddings there. So on the weekends, it feels much more Mexican than it does during the week, uh, which adds another layer of strangeness to the whole thing. But, um, you know, it's it's a hard thing to say because the people that did live in those buildings in the center, like made out like bandits. And so, you know, they moved somewhere else and their families are in much better shape. So would they rather that didn't happen? You know, I don't know, probably not. But then there are other people who, you know, were renting and they got pushed out. That's a different story because they had no, no choice in the matter really. And so I can understand how, you know, you don't want to be a part of that. But at the same time, I mean, this kind of xenophobia, like fear of the other and, you know, not wanting the foreigners in, I mean, that goes back forever in every country, you know, you've got um, far right nationalism now in some countries, but, you know, you've always had this kind of keep the foreigners out anti-immigration thing going on. And usually they're trying to keep the uh, people who are a different skin color out and the people with less money uh, out. But, you know, in this case, you've got people with maybe the same skin color and more money coming in. So it's not so cut and dry, but in Europe, especially, uh, but you know, it's, I think it's just kind of a natural transition in life. It's just been sped up a little bit lately by more people being able to work remotely, but this is not going to change. You know, if anything, it's going to get amplified and speed up because once more people start realizing they can live a more pleasant life in another place and still keep getting their old salary, they're going to do it. You know, like why wouldn't you go live in Europe instead of like Boise? I mean, I like Boise, but you know, it's not that great. I would much rather live somewhere in Europe, you know, for the same amount of money or less and get a much better life out of the deal and not even have to own a car, uh, which is what I've got in Mexico too. Yeah. That's thanks for that. It's, it's, it is a complicated question. I was just curious of, hearing some of your thoughts around that. And you're 100% right. It's not going to change. And when we think back on history, it's just always easy to, in the present day, I feel it's easy to kind of just think that things are a trend or, you know, it's, it's nothing's changing super rapidly. But if you look at giant chunks of time where, you know, there's the Roman Empire, and I'm sure then in the middle of the Roman Empire... Romans never would think that there would not be a Roman empire. Like that would just be impossible to think. Right. right? And how, how is that? that that's never going to happen. And if you've or, been ruled by the Ottomans for 200 years, you don't think they're ever going to leave. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, <laughs> the structure of city states or all of these sort of political structures, borders, things are ever shifting. And this is one of those giant shifts that 
can permanently alter the landscape of, or I, I, I'm, I would say is going to, it's just a matter of how, how long, right? Yeah, we might get to a point 50 years from now where people go, hey, remember when you had to like get in your car and drive somewhere and like go sit in an office with a bunch of other people? Like <laughs> right. how weird is that? <laughs> <laughs> it's like thinking about working at a factory for 14 hours a day, right. 15 hours a day as a, as a 10 year old. Like why would you send kids to a factory for... You know, well, and, and then they're gonna go. Wait, you had to drive your own car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, things are changing. It's just, I think it's changing so much quicker than anybody thought because of this. It's like the perfect storm with the yeah. But you know, I mean, it's such a and, it's such a net plus in a lot of ways to get rid of commutes. You know, just to use one example of you know what's going away. Like, you know. Think how much time all these people have gained by being able to, you know, work where they want in a in a co-working space or at home or whatever, as opposed to like spending two hours a day stuck in traffic. Yes. Those two hours can be spent writing an article. <laughs> <laughs> or just uh, cuddling up with your honey, because apparently the birth rate went up last year in the U.S. for the first time during a recession. <laughs> uh, <okay. laughs> there you go. All right, medium-sized cities, one to five million people. Lay some of those on us. Yeah, I actually didn't know how big some of these places were till I started looking this up. Like some, you, they're so famous, you think they're bigger than they are. I don't know. There's like some medium-sized cities out there, like Chiang Mai, that have been like super popular for so long. You wonder if they're ever not going to be, you know? And and, and um, it's like where you go to like when you're starting up your business and you don't have much money, you know, you go somewhere so you can live for cheap and, um, you know, get your business off the ground. And then then you go somewhere else. You know, I think uh, the, the Tropical MBA guys called it the freshman dorm of entrepreneurship. You know, you go there to get started and then you uh, you you become a sophomore and you move on. <laughs> but um, maybe like. Uh, Penang in Malaysia, you know, is another one that's been real popular. Valencia and Spain, um, Merida and, and Mexico, which is a little over a million. Um, you know, this is kind of um, a sweet spot in a way because it's like you get all the amenities of a city, but it's not so overwhelming like um, living in a giant metropolis. Uh, Tbilisi in Georgia, you know, there's a lot of places out there that are that are. I don't know. They're they're a city. You get everything that a city is, but you you don't get. It's not such a massive place. Mm-hmm. Playa del Carmen was another one. That's a huge spot. And Changu is that how? I'm, do I pronounce that right? Where was that? I'm not Bali. I'm not remembering. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't think that's a million, but um, yeah, it's a pretty big, popular place. Obviously, um, and I don't know, like. This is an area where I don't think there's a lot of them out there that are popular now, but there's a lot that will be, I think, once people start realizing that these are pleasant places to live and they get everything that they got in their former city, you know, with just lower rents. All right, is this the is the crystal ball coming out now? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, again, it depends on, you know, what your ideal living situation is, but I think um a lot of times a medium-sized city can be kind of the best of both worlds. You still have a decent airport. You can, uh, you know, get all your stuff done. You can have cultural performances, but, you know, you're not feeling like a, a number in a city of 20 million people. Mm-hmm. And you and I spent some time together in Carretero. You know, that's a city in Mexico that's barely over a million, I guess. But 
you know, it's a pretty cool place to live. Yeah, I thought I thought it was that was a great place and definitely could be an up and coming one for sure. I think about living here in Oslo and the population's a little over 600,000. That feels it doesn't feel small. You know, I guess it's a small city by city standards, but it's a real it's to me it's a great size. There's a ton of stuff going on. It's small enough where you can like run into people and you can kind of get your head around it, but there's so much nature around to explore that there's just endless stuff to do, even though it's quote unquote smaller and 600,000 plus isn't, doesn't feel that small to me, I guess. But this is where the personal enjoyment and values comes in. It's nice to be in your nature and to have those options. And that's one of the reasons I love it here. Yeah, I thought it was bigger than that, to be honest. And that's the thing. Like, you hear about Subsidy and you think it's uh, much bigger than it really is. And then you get there and go, oh, this is, I got a handle on this place. I can, I can uh, figure this out. <laughs> yeah, there's a bunch I pulled up that are less than a million. I was kind of surprised. Like, um, Tirana in Albania is less than that. A um, bunch of them in Mexico, Oaxaca. Uh, we mentioned. Caretra is right around a million. Um, and then there's some in Europe like Krakow and Plovdiv and Bratislava. You know, they're cities, but they're not massive cities. Mm-hmm. Do you think Eastern Europe's going to be a, a next big thing? Yeah, I think um, the parts of Eastern Europe that weren't already super popular in the past and also the Balkans are, I think the Balkans are going to become the next hotspot because it's still so crazy cheap there for rent, especially that um, people can really just, uh, you know, either live up, live the high life or get by with a lot less living in those places. And also you still kind of feel like a pioneer because, you know, a lot of cities you go to, you see the same, you know, same chain restaurants and stores and everything. And you're like, all right, this doesn't feel very different than home. But when you're in those Balkan countries, it feels very different than home. And uh, that's kind of exciting, I think. Absolutely. So the small ones, we'll call them the small ones, the little guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, like this was kind of tricky because maybe if 500, 600 expats suddenly move to a small town, that's going to really change the character and maybe it's not so welcome. But on the other hand, you know, rents are usually crazy cheap in these places. You can buy something for cheap if you really want to, you know, put down some roots. Um, you've got the nice kickback small town life if that's what you're up for. And, you know, just uh, fresh air and fresh vegetables and all that good stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Some people, that's what they're really looking for. Fresh air and fresh vegetables is nice. Yeah. <laughs> so... You and I are going to go to one of these places next year. We're going to hang out in um, Bansko, Bulgaria. Yes. And that's, that's gotten uh, quite a reputation. It's a great ski town. That's what we're going to do there. But it's also, it's got a few hundred expats living there, partly because there's a great co-working space and rents are ridiculously cheap there. And there's great hiking nearby in the summertime. And so lots of stuff for people to do and it's only three hours or less from a major city so you can still you know catch a plane to wherever so for a lot of people that's the best of both worlds you know they maybe they're not going to spend 12 months a year there but you know they're going to spend three months or six months there and then come back um i actually met some people there that had bought an apartment 
because it's literally like 30 or 40,000 euros to get an apartment. And, and they would just use it like as a storage locker the rest of the year, you know, <laughs> they were just leaving all their stuff there and taking off. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if you want to have a base somewhere with your stuff, it's, this is a, this opens up another conversation of buying and that that's like, that might change I'm speaking to you, the listener now that might change some of the city, the way you see some of the cities we're talking about here. Yeah. And, and, you know, when you think about it, there's not as many famous places like this where that they've sort of become expat hubs. I mean, maybe like uh, Goa in India, like there's towns in Goa that are pretty darn small, but you know, there's loads of foreigners living there and um, Koh Samui in Thailand, some places like that where uh, there's enough of a community that you could definitely have people to have fun with all year, even if you did stay in that bubble. <laughs> Hopefully you don't, but, uh, you know, there's a, you're not there by yourself, like hanging out on the beach, twiddling your thumbs, you know? So, uh, I wouldn't say another one, Sayalita in, um, in Nayarit in Mexico, another place that's gotten popular with expats, although the internet sucks. That's one of those places that it's still not very good. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, those places could be lots of fun. You know, you end up having, you end up having instant friends and going to parties and it's a tourist town too. So people are passing through and it could be a pretty good life without, uh, you know, the expenses and trappings of a big city. I heard it's got a nice beginner surf break there. And that was the one reason I always wanted to go to Salulita. Yeah, it, for sure. There, right? You like it? Yeah, I like it. A lot of people go there to learn to surf and there's another town nearby called San Pancho the real name San Francisco, but they all call it San Pancho. And, um, yeah, really nice beach there. It's kind of sleepy, but you're like an hour from Puerto Vallarta if you want to go, uh, you know, get a bigger city life or you can head inland to Guadalajara. Cool. And some of the crystal ball ones I saw that you had on, list, on this list, one Puerto uh, Escondido, which is another one I've heard of. I think that has a surf. Yeah, that's a that's a monster wave surf town, actually. Oh, okay, um, no, that's, that's too the big place you can <laughs> learn. There's a bay around the corner where you can learn to surf, but the people that are like on the main beach there are like the kind you would see on TV. <laughs> They're like uh, catching the big waves coming in. But it's a you know it's a fun town, and it's not it's not well served by air connections, which makes it kind of like not a a resort town. You know, there's not a lot of big high rise hotels. And um, it's still a pretty reasonable place to live, but it's a beautiful beach and great seafood. And um, you don't have to go far to get into nature. It's, you know, it's, there's not much else around. And then there's some like more laid back beaches down the coast that, you know, there's not many people around. And it, it's a good area, I would think, to hang out in if you're into the beach life. Yeah. What else on the ones to watch list? as you call it, would you, would you say one or two that are really, oh, these are gonna, these might blow up here in the next three to five years? <laughs> yeah. I mean, some of this, I don't know, like if these places are going to become hot, but I just think they have all the, the elements to be. Um, one of them is Antalya in Turkey. I know a lot of people have been talking about that. Again, I've got problems with the politics, but uh, hopefully um, those that'll change in the coming years. But that's a, it's a city by the beach, so you kind of have the best of both worlds there. And um, there's lots of places in Europe, lots of cities that are under a million that are really nice, desirable places. Um, I mean, we mentioned Bratislava, uh, Kosice and um, 
and Slovakia is another place I would definitely go live. Um, you know, there's a lot of towns around the, a lot of cities around the Balkans that are, that are smaller and, um, prices are really good and the weather's decent. I mean, it's not super cold there much of the year, like it is, um, in Estonia maybe. <laughs> so, um, you know, you could live there all year if you wanted to. So I don't know, like go find your perfect place and then invite some friends, you know, I think that's probably the way to do it. Start the ball rolling. Ah, that's a good tip there, right? If you, if you want to get a group to come along, yeah, find your place first and then tell everybody, Hey, come on over this way. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, some of those have a, uh, I just have to mention some of them have a digital nomad visa now like Greece and Croatia. And, you know, those two countries aren't super cheap, but they're reasonable. And, you know, there's lots of beautiful places to live in both of those countries. So you can go hang out as long as you want these days if you apply for the right paperwork. Well, this leads us into something you mentioned in in your email that we should talk about this concept of, Places that would be, I guess, labeled more traditional retirement type places going into more of a kind of, hey, this is more open for all and less just retirees. And I think the thing you mentioned earlier about the change in visa in Thailand from something that's more retirement oriented. I think you were talking about Thailand to uh, to something that's a little more open for everybody. This is a systemic shift as well. If, if these countries are going to continue to offer these types of visas that w- were more traditionally offered to retirees, now they're offered to people who are, or a version of them are offered to people that can work remotely and things like that. Your sort of conclusion to that, which I agree with, I hadn't thought about, is that maybe some of these traditional retirement havens will start to trend younger. And I just wanted to hear your thoughts on that. On that. Yeah, I think they will, because the reason retirees settled in these places to start with is because they had really nice weather and they were desirable places to live. Um, and so Ecuador, for example, has announced a digital nomad visa and Panama has as well. So those two countries both have places that are flocked with retirees in in Ecuador, it's Cuenca and in um, Panama, it's Boquete. And these are both like high altitude towns with nice weather all year. I mean, cities in the case of Cuenca, it's like 600,000, I think. Uh, But, you know, just lots of cultural performances, good healthcare, good places to eat, you know? So why won't people who are younger decide to move there and do the same thing? Now that, you know, they can work remotely. And I mentioned Roatan Island on Honduras. Like that's traditionally been a retirement hotspot. But I mean, it's got a great scuba diving um, reef right off the shore, you know. And so uh, there's plenty for younger people to do there. And in fact, a lot of younger people do go there on vacation. They just don't live there. (laughs) And so maybe that will change in the future now that some of these countries are making it easier for people who work remotely to live there instead of just retirees. I mean, that's been a lot of it in the past is it was much easier to move to these countries as a retiree that has a pension that you can show them on paper or your social security. That's like a steady amount coming in every month. But if they now apply that same criteria to remote workers, then, you know, yeah, we can show that we make $800 a month. (laughs) That's what, that's what the bar is in some of those countries for retirees. So it's not a high bar to clear. So, 
I think it will start skewing younger and, and hopefully it will, because I think the people who live there would like to see it skew younger as well. You know, both the, the res longtime residents and the retirees, you know, most of them don't want to live in an open air retirement home either. They'd like to have a, a bigger mix of ages. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day? I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press. But I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago, and immediately I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour-over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years, I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks, so they also make an exceptional gift. Thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever Zero to Travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people, on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me. Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Let's get back to the show. Do you think the visa trend, if we'll call it that, I mean, I, I don't even want to call it a trend. It just seems to be that it's it's a permanent fixture at this point, not, not a trend. I mean, at least that's the way it seems to me, that countries are very keen on bringing people in who... We'll stick around, spend money, maybe dive a bit more into the local community. What do you think? Do you think that's going to continue? Do you think more countries are going to continue to roll out these types of programs? I think they're crazy not to, honestly, because this is such a desirable demographic. I mean, we we come to the country, we don't use any of the local resources, you know, like schools and, you know, public hospitals so much and those kinds of things, because most nomads are young enough to be reasonably healthy and you know we're just pumping money into the local system like it's the it's the cleanest revenue source ever you know like we're earning money somewhere else and spending it in their country like what a beautiful thing that is for them like nothing's you know most of the economies in any given country are circular you know people are earning in one place and spending in another and it's all a loop within the country but we're bringing in cash from the outside and just dumping it on people in restaurants and you know service people taxi drivers all that stuff spending money at the markets and so i mean why wouldn't you want that because especially if you set the bar to a reasonable level it's like three or four times the minimum wage which most of them do some of them it's like a hundred times but you know regardless you're you're bringing in people who are earning more than the average local. So that's only going to be a plus for the economy. I mean, there, yes, will be some side effects. You know, it can drive up rents in the most desirable part of the city, but that's not going to affect your 
average Joe or average Juan or whatever in most countries. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The idea that countries can have some uh, element of control over the program in terms of the financial requirements and stuff like that. I mean, that makes sense. I hadn't really thought of it that way, just from the country's perspective of, I, I wonder how they, how they decide these things, right? Like if they do some studies and they say, Hey, it, it seems like it makes sense if we allow people in within this threshold, <laughs> that's going to get a certain type of per, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know how that works. It would be probably good to have uh, somebody from one of those, administrations from uh, one of those countries on as a guest to just hear the methodology behind it. Yeah, it would be great because some of them have definitely whiffed it. Like Indonesia announced something where you're going to have, you were going to have to like put $200,000 in a bank and everybody just laughed. Like that's not going to happen. I mean, why are you, if you got that kind of money, why are you going to go live in Indonesia? You you could go pump it in a bank and lots of other places and get a passport out of the deal. Uh, So yeah, that's, and Malaysia had this thing called my second home Malaysia that had pretty reasonable amounts that you had to stick in a bank or invest in real estate or whatever. And they basically tripled the amount. And I don't think they've gotten any applications since. But that was something geared to retirees. And I think they're being smarter with this digital nomad thing and just going, okay, what's a reasonable amount of money that we want somebody to live to live on for us to grant them this visa? And for the most part, it's most of them seem to be falling somewhere between a thousand and forty five hundred. I mean, I know that's a pretty big spread, but uh, I'd say the average is like two grand probably. And that's not an unreasonable amount to ask, I think, for someone to be earning to come get a visa in the country. Um, and if you can't qualify, then okay, you just come in as a tourist and keep working on what you're doing. And there's a lot of countries that'll let you stay for six months just on a tourist visa if you do it right. So that's your other option. Hmm. These nomad remote work visas can be attractive to different people for various reasons. But one that I've noticed that really catches people's attention is when there is something that offers some kind of path to a passport or citizenship. And that is sort of the next level, right? It's like, we're not just letting you in, but we're actually going to allow you to start working towards permanent residency. Do you think that that next level type of commitment to um, bringing foreigners in is going to continue or get bigger? Yeah, maybe, but um, I think you're talking about a small subset that even wants that is the issue, you know? And so, especially digital nomads by nature are not wanting to put down those roots necessarily. I mean, I'm a legal resident of Mexico because I was there for the long term. I own a house and I I wanted to get legal eventually. (laughs) But, um, you know, if I go live somewhere in Europe for six months, I'm not planning to stay there permanently, but other people certainly are. And, you know, one of the, one of the reasons a lot of people have moved to Portugal is they made it fairly, you know, upfront and straightforward as far as what was required to get residency there. And for a lot of people, that is a big deal. If there's a path to getting a passport, you know, it's sort of like a safety valve thing for yes. a lot of people. <laughs> exactly. Like, I mean, it might not be a big deal for you now because you have your safety valve in yeah. Mexico, but for somebody to get that one somewhere else, like I know being a Norwegian citizen now, it's just kind of, okay. Well, I mean, cause you never know where things are going to go and 
countries. Yeah, and if you're from a volatile country, which unfortunately includes the U.S. right now, but like if you're at a if you're from a developing country and your passport doesn't let you go to a lot of places, or it's a big hassle for you to do that, then it's even more attractive for you to get a passport from somewhere else. Hmm. And then the next question is, what do you think about the the idea of borderless, where you you see something like the e-residency visa from Estonia, I believe it is, or, you know, there are some organizations trying to make a, a country on the internet and, and all of this type of stuff. What do you think about all that? Yeah, I don't really have a grasp of how that's all going to work. Um, I, I've tried to understand <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think it has promise, but to me, it's kind of like crypto. Like I understand how it works, but I don't still don't understand how it's going to work for me. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't think we're there yet and they will, they will readily, readily admit that, you know, the plumia people, they're still trying to figure it all out. But I think there is promise there, you know, if we're not tied to a specific country, I mean, like a lot of nomads don't feel like they have a home country anymore. You know, it's wherever they're hanging their hat, wherever they're opening their laptop. So it would make, it would make sense to be able to have something like that. Um, I just think we're probably a long way off. We'll see. Well, with all of your knowledge around the world and all of these places and this entire conversation, uh, uh, all these great cities we mentioned, big, small, medium sized, why Mexico for you? Because you could, you could, you guys can take your party anywhere, right? You got your, uh, your daughter's in college. You guys have freedom to roam, right? Yeah. What we is are it taking about advantage of that. We're taking advantage of that a little more. And um, I think next year we're probably going to spend four or five months in Europe. Uh, but yeah, that's going to stay our base no matter what. And I, I do like the country. I like the people and the food and, you know, the, the architecture, all of the, it's a, it's a kind of like the U S in the sense that there's just so much geographical diversity there. There's a lot of different things you can see and do. And it's super close. You know, I still have family in the U S my wife does too. And for us, it's really easy to get back there. Uh, and it's also easy to do business, you know, whether that's on the phone or in person, you know, it's not a big deal to fly back to Mexico, but man, getting over here to Thailand was like two days of my life, you know, and, um, it was not a fun experience and I'm certainly not going to go hop on a plane just to go meet with somebody, you know, or to go to a conference where I, was, I do that all the time from Mexico. And you've also got the whole time zone thing too. If you're trying to run a business, like I still do a fair number of phone calls in my business. I mean, I'm a, writer but i'm a publisher and i do deals with people you know and i need to hash things out sometimes and man it, just trying to figure out how to be 13 hours off from the people you talk to is a bit too difficult for me yes the time zone thing is huge i mean it's the biggest reason i'm trying to start some new business ventures here yeah in europe operating within the same time zone because the nighttime uh, video calls get old pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. And I think last time you and I talked, it was seven in the morning where I was because that got you in in a decent hour. Now um, it's funny where we've switched paths here because I'm in Thailand where it's like uh, sun's going down and you're just getting your day going. Uh, all right. Well, yeah. <laughs> tell us, uh, I guess we'll, we'll let you get out because you're going to probably go have dinner or something. I want to hear about your plans for this evening. I'm just putting myself there right now. It's been a long time since I've been in Bangkok. So take me there, Tim. What are well, you doing? Go, are you going out to get a delicious plate of uh, 
street food somewhere after this. <laughs> that is the plan. That's usually what I do in Bangkok is eat street yeah. food all the oh. time. We did go to like this Chinese hot pot place last night, uh, sit down restaurant, just because that seemed like an interesting cultural experience. Um, you know, it was uh, ethnic Chinese people eating these pots that were in the middle of the table. We just walked by there a few times and went, we got to go there. But the rest of the time we've been eating uh, street food, you know, just pad thai and satay on a stick and all that good stuff. And uh, yeah, some more of that tonight for sure. And then after this, we're going out to um, the other coast and we'll be eating by the beach. So probably lots of seafood. And But I love uh, I love eating street food here. We went to the Chattachuck Market, uh, which is the big weekend market here. And um, man, it's really hard to like decide what you're going to eat, you know, because there's so many things around and the prices are so good. It's like, oh, I'm just going to keep chowing down. <laughs> nice, man. Well, enjoy yourself. So you guys are going to be in Thailand for a stretch and then what's, what's for on a tap? month or so. Yeah. So oh. back to that empty nester thing, like we went to Argentina for almost a month. Um, we, uh, we spent a month in Mazatlan, Mexico, doing a home exchange. So, like, somebody stayed in our place, we stayed in theirs, and then we're going to do a bit of that next year in Europe. But, yeah, just um, trying to take advantage of the fact that, uh, yeah, those of us with laptop jobs, we don't have to be tied to a certain place. So, you know, I don't consider myself a nomad. It's kind of like a hub-and-spoke kind of thing, I guess. I'll keep coming back to the base, but I have a base in the U.S. too. But, man, that drives me crazy when I go back now how much I'm spending, you know, like (laughs) – I'm sure. I mean, for you, it's different coming from Norway, but like most people I talk to that live in a cheaper country, they're just aghast when they go back to the U.S. and they're like, wait, how much did I just spend on lunch? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, now I'm just like, oh, I'm just spending the same as I do in yeah. Norway. So. And the beer's cheaper for you, right? And the coffee. <laughs> it was so funny when I went to London and everybody around me was like, it's so expensive here. And I'm like, this is so affordable. (laughs) (laughs) I can get a beer for five pounds or whatever. It's all in your perspective. Yeah. And do you ever get tired of working online? Uh, Not really. I mean, I do spend a lot of time at conferences, but yeah, it's funny. Nobody really does what I do in the city I'm living in. And so, um, yeah, I've got plenty of expat friends, but none of them are, um, on they don't work online or have an online business or anything like that some of them own physical businesses in the city but um yeah the way i get my uh business commiseration done is like go to conferences or in facebook boards and things like that and i think it is a lot easier than it used to be and and plus i'll just call up people and talk like uh you know you and i do and i've got a mastermind group of friends that are you know in the same business and Try to do things like that to keep the juices flowing. Yeah, those are good things to have. And I've been part of one. Well, we were in a mastermind together. I was lucky to be in one with you. And I've been part of one, another one for 10 years, more than the 10 years actually now. It is nice to get around. I mean, I think that's the appeal of the co-working spaces and, and things like that when you go into these cities to get around the other people doing the thing. And you have that in common. I'm in a different stage of life now, but if I was in the earlier stage now, I'd probably be in one of these countries you mentioned today right now. Just, uh, yeah. And I I do have to say I've been doing this for quite a while, but if I were starting out, I would, I would probably be making a beeline to Chiang Mai and hanging out in the co-working spaces too, because yeah, you're going to be inspired by the people around you, get advice, maybe find people to partner with and, 
also just, you know, people can help you avoid a lot of trial and error mistakes, <laughs> people that have been mm-hmm. through it before. For sure. And speaking of advice in this space, you have a newsletter. You want to let people know where they can sign up? Yeah. So I have a newsletter called Nomadico, which I started with a few people that run another newsletter called Recommendo. And this one's all just uh, four quick bites for people who are traveling and working at the same time. You know, some people are just travelers and uh, some are just uh, expats living somewhere. But this is for people that are kind of in both those worlds. And um, it's meant to be something you can digest in a minute or so and decide what you want to click on. But the URL is kind of weird. So just search Nomadico newsletter and it'll come up at the top in Google. (laughs) Okay, cool. And I'm on the newsletter and I get it every week and I, I, I love it. So thanks for putting that out. And of course, we'll link to your website, timleffel.com is is the hub, but then you have the various other projects and we should mention, I'll at least pump them up for you. Tim's books are, are awesome. And if you're really looking to have the better life for half the price, that's one we've talked about on the podcast before. And I could recommend that the travel writing book, of course, all the stuff you do is great, man. So it's a it's an honor to have you back on the show here, to have you as a consistent presence, giving us your expert advice on these uh, destinations. And man, I look forward to hanging out in Bulgaria with you here in a handful yeah, of months. Yeah, follow us both on social so you can see the pics next uh, in the <laughs> end of March next year. <laughs> we're going to get into some trouble. We're like, hey, we're just going to organize this trip, and you know, Tim did all the logistics and kind of made this killer itinerary and uh we're just like it's funny because i love the letter you sent out because we kind of just invited some friends and colleagues and whatnot and we're like no this isn't a business thing no we're not making any money on it i think you said in your letter you're like and i can leave listeners with this because this is a good bit of advice you know have you ever heard of a vacation you probably need one of those <laughs> i think <laughs> yeah. something you said and you nobody's true if you can't remember when you last went on one you really need one <laughs> <laughs> well because nowadays you know it's so easy to travel with the smartphone the laptop and and it's kind of easy to just be on all the time and it's important to to have something sketched out that's going to give you some space. So I I always like to throw a challenge sometimes at the end of these episodes. I think that will be carve out some space for yourself and to have a proper vacation. And just, just if anybody asks, just be like, Hey, Tim Leffel and Jason Moore said it was cool if I do this. So (laughs) put an out of office reply and stick with it. (laughs) (laughs) You can link to our websites and uh, yeah. And just, do it and see what comes out of it. I mean, that's something we all need. You do. Yeah. And there's the old thing that like nobody ever came up with a great idea sitting around an office. You know, you got to get out there and let your mind breathe a little bit. Yeah. So maybe hit up one of these destinations. If you do get in touch, let us know. Tim, thanks, man. I'm sure you'll be back on for another edition of this next next year or sooner. Maybe we do something live when we're all in person because there's yeah. some fun people coming that have some uh, that have a few opinions as well. What are we going to do live? Oh my gosh! Oh no, it's turning into a work trip. No, oh, no. no. Okay, the last day. <laughs> no, I don't. That just never feels like work to just put on a microphone and have a conversation. Like this is, I, I know it sounds the whole. If you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. Of course, it's work to edit a show and all that. But to have the conversations, it doesn't never feels like. Yeah, and maybe you can get some uh, folkloric Bulgarian music in the background for oh, some audio. Yeah. 
you know I'm going to be doing some recording over there. So be on the lookout for that. And I hope you enjoyed this one. Thanks again, Tim. Thanks for having me on. It's always great talking with you. Cheers. There you have it. Thank you so very much to Tim Leffel for stopping by the show. As you heard, he wrapped it up with that call to action. Go on vacation. I look forward to meeting up with him later this year. And this leads to my little announcement here. If you want to go on vacation, if you want to come and get inspired by nature, come to Norway. I have been dying to do something travel-related in my community here where I live in Oslo, Norway, and in this country, and bring more people here. And I'm so excited to announce that I have a new part of Zero to Travel called Remote Norway. And this is my project, my attempt to bring remote work professionals here to Norway as a destination. As far as I know, nobody else is promoting Norway as a remote work destination. First of all, I want to see more of you. And secondly, I think the nature can really inspire your creativity, your art, your work, whatever you do. And we've got an incredible logistics partner who you'll hear about pretty shortly in the coming episode. And I'm excited to announce it. So anyway, if you go to zerototravel.com slash Norway, you can get on the wait list there to hear about the trips. And if you want to come and experience the real Norway, not the typical tourist track, but the local cuisine, the incredible nature spots that we have all over the place, let the nature inspire you. Please check it out, zerototravel.com slash Norway, free to sign up. And I will keep you posted on the various offerings and hope to see you in Norway this year. Now, speaking of hidden gems and going to unique places, I have to give a shout out before I let you go. And then I'll leave you with a quote. You can stick around for that. I always like to send you off with a nice, inspiring quote for the day. I don't have one, by the way. I'm going to have to reach into the quote drawer and see what I pull out. But let's first start with this shout out to fellow listener, Samantha, who wrote me an email, said, new to travel and your podcast. She said, Jason... I just started listening to your podcast recently and found myself addicted to it. It has given me motivation, courage, and inspiration to travel. Yes. I quit my paramedic firefighter job after doing it for 14 long burnout years and sold the house, everything I owned, and bought an RV with my husband. We are new to traveling and RV life. I wanted to ask personally for a list of your top places to visit in the USA. We are looking for off-the-beaten-path ideas. We have bought several books, and although they had led us to some amazing places, we were looking for hidden gems. We come from a very small town in the Adirondack Mountains with a population of 300 people. We love looking for hidden gems, which no one knows about. If you have any info or books you would recommend, would be very helpful and appreciated. Thanks for your time, Samantha. Thank you, Samantha, for your time, for listening to the show. This is a big topic. It has definitely inspired me to create an episode of hidden gems in the USA because I did spend a full decade plus traveling around the USA. So I've been to a lot of small towns, spent a lot of time in many places. I wish, I so wish I had documented a lot of this in a journal or in a spreadsheet or maybe both. I don't know. I didn't. So it's all kind of a blur. But 
there are definitely places that stand out and places that I have remembered and carried with me. And I can't share a full list of them here again. That will be a bigger episode. I'll put that one together. I'll work on putting that one together. But I'll share three. And oh boy, I almost pulled off a rocks theme. I was almost going to rock your world with a rocks theme, but two of them uh, involve rocks. <laughs> Only two. The third one doesn't. I was going to just add a third one in that was a, a rock one just to, to do the rocks theme, but I didn't because I wanted to also pair the last one with a really simple tip, a straightforward question that you could ask anybody that can help you find those hidden gems out there. A question I've probably asked maybe not a million times, but I've asked many times. And sometimes if you want a real specific answer, you just have to ask a very specific blunt question. (laughs) Just put it out there. And maybe this is a question you've asked before. If not, you can add it to your travel repertoire and try it out. This first hidden gem destination the UP, the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, the entire thing. There are a lot of wonderful, beautiful places to go. And I went up there many years ago. But this was one of those places that really surprised me and delighted me around every turn. So many local spots, so much beautiful nature. And Pictured Rocks was one place that really stood out. Beautiful hiking, Pictured Rocks National Lakeshore. And it's in Moonasing, Michigan. Picture perfect is their tagline, by the way. I wanted to mention this one because this was very memorable and very uncrowded. Who knows what it's like now? Again, it's been many years since I've been there. But Pictured Rocks, National Lakeshore, it's managed by National Park Service. So it is a national park. It's one of only four national lakeshores out there. And absolutely beautiful. But if you're getting into the UP, you're going to find more off-the-beaten-path hidden gem stuff. So sending you in that direction, I'm confident, is the right move. Okay, the next one, another rocks. I remember I did an all-night drive with a buddy of mine. Late 90s, this was. We rock and rolled from Texas, drove all night through West Texas, like literally drove all night till the sun started coming up. And we drove all that way to get to Santa Fe, New Mexico, checked in to a nice place. We had a company per diem then. So we used our money to stay at a pretty nice place that had robes. I remember we were all delirious because we had not slept and we drove all night and we put on these robes and we were all giddy. We might've even worn the robes to breakfast or something. I don't know. But I believe it was the next day we had heard about a place called Tent Rocks National Monument. It's actually called Kashwa Katui Tent Rocks National Monument. Uh, what an incredibly inspiring place. These spires, these rocks, tent rocks. I mean, is that exactly what it sounds like? These uh, rocks that look like tents just jutting out from the ground. Beautiful hiking. Nobody was around now. Right now, I just looked it up. It is closed to the public right now. It's only uh, open to local tribal members. But if you're going through Santa Fe, New Mexico, worth checking out of course taos and plenty of other awesome spots in new mexico and i think it's safe to say you can definitely find some cool local spots in new mexico one of my favorite states and lastly this is an odd one but i had to throw out something from my old times of living in boulder colorado and that was brainerd lake colorado this is where the locals go to camp so when i would want to get a quick fix camping trip 
I wouldn't drive to Estes Park, which is Rocky Mountain National Park. Very crowded. Nice place. Cute National Park town. You got all the cheesy shops with the fudge and everything. Uh, um, incredible nature, of course, in Rocky Mountain National Park. Definitely worth a visit. But I would drive about the same amount of distance, I believe, if I can recall, to Brainerd Lake. It's a high-altitude area where there's a lake and some camping and some really wonderful hiking. And this is where the locals go to camp. So it's just a nice little spot near Ward, Colorado. And this leads me to this question. Sometimes if you're looking for those hidden gem spots, I think the easiest way to find them, whether it's a restaurant, a place to eat, a place to camp, a place to visit, nature spot, whatever, you can just say, where do the locals go to blank? Where do the locals go to eat around here? For example, works better than, hey, are there any restaurants you recommend? And here's why. Because sometimes people just tell you the things they think a tourist wants to hear, somebody traveling through town. That's different. That can be a much different answer. Depending on the person, not everybody thinks that way. But if you go up to random strangers, I always think that's the best way to find the local spots. And if you ask them where to eat or what restaurants they recommend, which of course I've done, and that can work. But they might just tell you the things that they know other tourists go to because they think, well, they see tourists there. They know a lot of people go there. And oh, so it's a place to check out while you're here. But if you ask them where the locals go to eat, you might just might get a different answer. And where do the locals go to camp? Where do the locals go to eat? Where do the locals go to unwind? Where do the locals go to go swimming on a hot day? All of these questions. Yes, it's a little bit different, but I think the directness of where do the locals go can really sometimes, maybe oftentimes, I don't know, I haven't done an official poll, but it can get you a more direct answer. So that's what we want. We want to know where the locals go. Just ask them, where do the locals go? So I just thought that would be worth throwing out there. Experiment with it. Try it out. See what kind of results you get. Okay. Thanks for listening. This was a blast. I had a great time with you today. I am going to pull something out of the quote drawer here. Okay. This one's from Mahatma Gandhi, who said, To believe in something and not to live it is dishonest. We'll do that. Have a wonderful day. Have a wonderful rest of your day. I know you're going to. And I'll see you next week. Peace and love to you and yours, my friend. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.